3: You have truth, or you have error. You have fact, or you have fiction.
4: And now we go into the thick of it.
3: Uh oh. Uh oh.
2: Erin Addisons
1: on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Mikey, and I'm Will. And uh, Sherry B is actually not over in Studio CC. Richard is. Mm-hmm. Richard's like, oh, this is Studio CC. That's just what we call it. Is yeah. this giving? A, is this a problem?
2: I think, yeah. It'll be fine though. Let's mm-hmm. go yeah yeah <laughs> I'm sure yeah, yeah all right there we go yeah we're yes good. okay yeah. we'll see that's I'm, it
1: I'm sorry if I if I did it's always me you just
2: Beep. didn't have those um nice cheeks oh wow yeah they it, hit up against the microphone uh, and you know Oh. <laughs> how
1: many times are you gonna call me fat on the air ah, how many fat? times I that's exactly what you, you did I mean you've done it before. I cannot win. And every husband I'm trying
2: to be nice and like sweet. This is this is and it just don't work for me, man. Listen.
1: Love keeps no record of wrong, but wives do.
2: (laughs) But wives love, right? Yes. So I'm having a problem with it. It really (laughs) can I just say it
1: really is my You
2: smile when you speak, so it's like look, look, I'm trying. Okay, it's not working. Um,
1: I really am. It's the We're going to get your oh old my, school mic. I, that's what I need. <laughs> yeah. That's what yeah.
2: See, now you're going to lick oh. Don't do it. <laughs> don't don't mess with it. Oh man. Okay. just go.
1: I'm the woman that the Lord gave
3: me. <laughs> that's
1: it. I feel like it's going in and out like doing the thing where if I don't have it the right yeah. way, it's going in and out. That's yeah. what Richard just said. <laughs> it's all right. Like No,
2: it's not. We can fix it at the break. This sure? is live radio. Okay. All right. <laughs> now it's like not facing your face.
1: Okay. How's that?
2: There we go. Is just that better?
1: We just go with it. Now we're now we're good. Are we <laughs> not going in and out anymore?
2: Not in and out, but we're gonna fix it. Don't okay. worry about it.
1: All right, that's fine. Um
2: <laughs> You sound like a stewardess now. Like, oh man. <laughs>
1: greeting everyone. Can Let's I tell you? <laughs> so on Friday, <laughs> this is awful. I hate this headset. I'm going to file a complaint. Come on, man. Um, I hate this headset. Look, on Friday I came in and I was wearing a visor. Yeah. And uh, Devin Devin said that I looked like I was ready to (laughs) conduct a fitness class with this headset on and the visor. And I said, unless they're doing it at Chick-fil-A, no.
2: (laughs) Well... Unless A Chick-fil-A th- fitness class. And
1: so it would sound something like this. And you
2: lift the, the nugget up, you bring <laughs> it up. To your, and
1: you don't you don't want to use momentum, so go slow, hold
2: it, right? count for
1: three, bring it down, uh, and then
2: start again. I'm not sure how effective that would be. Anyway, it yeah, doesn't matter. Um, right hey, now.
1: thanks so much for listening to Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. I can hear the problem with my headset, and you I don't know. It? Well, I hear that it's doing something weird. Okay. So I'm sorry about that for everyone who has to endure it. <laughs>
2: Just for a few minutes.
1: Yeah, it's a saga. It's like a never-ending saga. And every time I think I got it right, mm-hmm. I'm ready to go. We start the show. And then I hear something that goes, that's not right. Yeah. So maybe I just need the old-school microphone.
2: That's what I do. Yeah. I, don't, I use the old-school one.
1: Anyway, here's a story <laughs> that we, uh, the story that we didn't get. Well, let me just say this. Uh, coming up in the next segment, we have Dr. Todd Chipman on to discuss his book, Until Every Child is Home, uh, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. And mm-hmm. so... Uh, we're going to talk a little bit about that, um, maybe answer some of your questions, maybe something that you've been concerned about. I <laughs> apologize to everyone who hears the microphone rustling, which is everyone listening. <laughs> I'm sorry. Um, is it better now? No,
2: it's like muffled now. It's not facing your mouth.
1: All right. I tell you what, why don't you let our, our listeners know how they can connect with us and I'll work on it over here.
2: Okay. All right. Yes, yeah, so you can connect with us uh, if, you want, if you're on Facebook. You can search Airing the Addisons. We are right there uh, on Facebook, Airing the Addisons. If you like uh, Twitter, Airing Addisons at Airing Addisons. You can find us there. But if you want to email us, you can simply just email us at Addisons at afr Addisons at AFR.net. Also, we have the Marriage Family and Life Facebook page. Just search that. Uh, but the YouTube page, Marriage M- MF Life Ministry where well, you can find uh, videos from this year's conference. We do a marriage, family and life conference each year. And if you want to uh, hear the keynote speakers and some of the panel discussions that we had, you can check that out. So we're planning for uh, the marriage, family life, uh, 2020. Mm-hmm. And so you can get an idea of, you know, uh, what the conference is like. Uh, it's been a great time, yeah. you know, these past two times and we're looking forward for more to more. So, Uh, as MF life ministry on YouTube, you can find the videos there.
1: All right. So I got into this story yesterday. Mm -hmm. It's still the same, isn't it? Yeah. (laughs) I got into this story yesterday. Mm -hmm. I hate the way this sounds and uh, I didn't finish it. So I'm just going to, I'm just going to, we're going to work with it, work through it. Maybe an engineer will come here and show me once and for all what I'm doing that's wrong. Yeah, and then we'll get it fixed. So HUD secretary Ben Carson came under attack last week because he said that men are men and women are women. And here is mm. the point that ultimately I was trying to make before we went to the break. Yes. And um, and which I learned later that there may have been a misunderstanding about the point that I was trying to make. Yes, about what I believe are moles, people who don't belong in the Trump administration who are working for the federal government who are still undermining this president's agenda. So that's the point that I was trying to make, And um, but just in case we fail to realize that, I'll just get back to this story here. So this was a story that the Washington Post ran last week, and it's more of the same. It's more of if you are logical in 21st century America, if you simply tell the truth, then you become a bigot. And I want you to listen very carefully to this story, and then if we have time in this segment, I want to tie it into another story that is uh, coming from Merriam-Webster's dictionary. They have added another word to their uh, dictionary. Really? Which is absolutely insane. Yes, we're going to get into that. Um, But I think it will tie in nicely with this Ben Carson Carson story that we have here. So here is a story from the Washington Post that we didn't get to finish yesterday. Uh, Housing and Urban Development Secretary Ben Carson expressed concern about, quote, big hairy men trying to infiltrate (laughs) women's homeless shelters during an internal meeting, according to three people present who interpreted the remarks as an attack on transgender women. Mm. So in case you are not familiar with some of these terms, which now at this point, and it has been it's amazing how rapid this has happened in our culture, yeah. most of us are already familiar with these terms. So we know that when a person says a transgender woman, we are talking about a man right. who has decided that he is a woman.
2: Trying to be a woman, yeah.
1: Just so that people understand that. So while visiting HUD's San Francisco office last week, Carson lamented that society no longer seemed to know the difference between men and women. And this information, according to two staffers, two of Dr. Carson's own staffers Mm -hmm. apparently said that they were triggered by Dr. Carson (laughs) saying that there is only male and female. Mm. All right. Here we go. So continuing on. Uh, Carson's m- remarks visibly shocked and upset many of the roughly 50 HUD staffers who attended this meeting last week uh, and prompted at least one woman to walk out in protest. <laughs> now, what I think is important to mention at this time
2: mm-hmm.
1: is that when Dr. Carson's team was asked to respond to these allegations mm-hmm. that you know he had been insensitive to transgender people and things like that, Um, there was a senior official who released a statement that said the following, quote, the secretary does not use derogatory language to refer to transgendered individuals. Any reporting, uh, to the contrary, is false. Now, this official was not in the meeting, and so there are people who are saying that his use of the term or the phrase big hairy men referred to men trying to get into women's shelters. (laughs) That's... (laughs) So his comments stand. Right. Okay. So his comments stand. (laughs) Do you see that? I mean, like if if you are talking about a man who says he's a woman Mm -hmm. trying to get into women's homeless shelters, you're still talking about a man man. trying to get into women's homeless shelters. Yes. And the thing that's crazy to me about this is that there was a representative from uh, the National Center for Transgender Equality. Did you know there was such a thing? No the national center for transgender equality who said the following quote it's gravely insulting to have the specter of violence from here's another term that you'll have to familiarize yourself with cisgender men used to restrict the rights of transgender people who are ordinarily the victims of that violence now hang on for just one second let's discuss this mm-hmm. So you've got an individual from an organization mm-hmm. called the National Center for Transgender Equality, okay. who are saying that men, mm. men, men. Mm-hmm. Now this term cisgender, we should not use. We should not use. We are forced to use these terms
2: cisgender
1: because they have been thrusted <laughs> upon us. Right, we are yeah. forced to use these terms. We should not use I'm these not terms. Using them. Because there are only men and there are only women. Yes, yeah, keep
2: it simple. Do you understand?
1: So, if you start saying things like, "Well, I'm a cisgender man," then you are given into the culture. You you actually lose your prophetic voice. You lose your ability to speak truth when you start saying things like this.
2: So, a cisgender man is is a, a man, man
1: is a man.
2: What's the cisgender? What is? Well,
1: that's the term that you need to use if you give in to talking about transgender. Where
2: it came from okay. So
1: so well because you've got to create terms.
2: That's, that's so crazy. To
1: accommodate what is foolishness, and I'm, I'm you know yeah. I'm not trying to be crazy here. I'm a
2: simple man. It's a man and then you, 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 a woman. You, that's gonna be your description. <laughs> you a, won't use cisgender, <laughs> but right. you'll use I'm simple. A simple man, man and woman. You know what I, I mean? I, that's not. I <laughs> I, I just.
1: I just thought about Kroger's brand of uh, organic foods. (laughs) It's called Simple Truth.
2: (laughs) Hey, that too. That (laughs) works as well. Here
1: is the Simple Truth. There is male and there is female. And my encouragement, like when I I read this story, I think about the way that Christians are struggling to really just maintain their fidelity to Scripture. Mm -hmm. The Apostle Paul (laughs) warned us in 2 Corinthians that we can't do anything against the truth only Mm -hmm. for it. So when we start using pronouns and when we start using terms that our culture, by the way, is just making up on the fly, right. they're just making it up as they go along, then we are actually finding ourselves in a position where we're doing something against the truth. Yeah, We're working against the truth. Now, you know, when pressed on this, whether or not Dr. Carson um, you know, promoted or was in favor of you know, special rights for transgender individuals. Mm-hmm. He said, no, you know, we believe in equal rights for individuals, but not special rights, right. but that's not enough. <laughs> because what does this protected class of individuals really want? They want special rights. Right. They want special accommodations, and that's what this has always been about. You know, it was interesting to me in this story that there was one individual who stood up in the meeting and said... Um, that the sentiment expressed, that the sentiment that was conveyed um, made others in this meeting feel uncomfortable. You're making other people feel uncomfortable. And what was it that Dr. Carson was saying? That men are men and women are women. Mm -hmm. He went on in in these remarks and he said, you know, I remember a time where it was just a matter of fact. (laughs) I remember a time where we just had male and female. Mm -hmm. Now keep in mind, this simple statement that Dr. Carson made triggered his staffers.
2: Yeah, he sounds like a simple man, too.
1: Exactly. I mean, I
2: <laughs> <laughs> I know he's brilliant, but still. Look, one I mean. of the
1: staffers who was in the meeting said that Dr. Uh, Dr. Carson's tone communicated the feeling of how crazy is it that we <laughs> no longer have just male and female? Yeah. How crazy is it that we no longer have just male and I female? Wish I heard that. Now, let me add to this conversation <laughs> here before we hit the break. Merriam-Webster has added a term to its dictionary, and the term is the pronoun they. Merriam-Webster recently added about 530 new words to its dictionary. We've seen this happen before. Um, They will add words like ginormous, Mm -hmm. right? And what we know about the way Merriam-Webster's dictionary adds words is that those words are added based on their popular use. Mm. So it's almost that it works from the ground up yeah. to get into the dictionary, right? right? right. And if you've ever studied um, dictionary definitions, you've ever studied the etymology of words to understand where those words come from and their original use and all of that, you understand that words and terms and how they're used change over time. Well, they has been added to Merriam-Webster and the definition is that they can be used to refer to a single person whose gender identity is non-binary. Wow. In other words, they is a pronoun used for a person who says they are neither male nor female. Guys, biblically speaking, there is no such thing. There's only male or female. That's right. All right, we got to grab the break. Aaron the Addison's on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. Welcome back to Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki,
2: and I'm Will, and that's Feva Jones with Get Ready.
1: All right, let's, uh let's let's move on. Is, is it working? I, I feel think like so. it's still going in and out a little bit.
2: A little bit, but it's not. It's not like it was. All right, that's We're fine.
1: Um, our guest joins us now to discuss his book, "Until Every Child Is Home." Dr. Todd Chipman is assistant professor of biblical studies at Midwestern Baptist Theological Seminary. He also Has been the teaching pastor at the Masters Community Church in Kansas City, Kansas since 2000. He's the author of Scripture Storyline, a biblical theological, I'm sorry, a biblical theology. I really can read. I really, really (laughs) can. can A biblical theology commentary (laughs) that is available at scripturestoryline.com. Todd and his wife, Julie, have five biological children and adopted a sibling set of sisters on National Adoption Day in 2016. Wow. And I think that in this segment, you will hear why that bit of information is important. Dr. Chipman, thank you so much for joining us today.
0: My pleasure.
1: So I, I'm curious to know about the burden that the Lord has placed on your heart that prompted the writing of this book, Until Every Child is Home.
0: In some ways, uh, the burden could be likened to what a funnel might feel like. A funnel has all this pressure at the top or the wide end of receiving whatever material or liquid is being poured into it, Mm. and it naturally comes out. I'm the recipient of great love in a family that adopted me. I'm the recipient of God's goodness in Christ in adopting me into His body, Mm. the Church. Uh, I've received so much from my own church that I pastor, from believers around me, and it's compelled me to put pen to paper, and think about the opportunities that the Church has to make a difference, not just in kids' lives, but to make a difference in our own churches. And that's why I wrote, Until Every Child is Home. Many folks will think about foster care or adoption, and and they think about this kind of ministry and how hard it would be, and, and it is, it's true, but it's also helpful for us. We have an opportunity to practice our faith to engage the culture, to know God better, to engage the Great Commission, prevent sex trafficking all these ideas uh, compel me to write the book.
1: Would you tell us a little bit more about your own adoption story? Did you grow up knowing that you were adopted? At what point were you adopted?
0: I did, and I write about this in the book. The first uh, few chapters are just sort of me telling my own story, reflecting back, uh, I was born, uh, actually, tomorrow is my birthday. Tomorrow oh, is oh, happy birthday. Uh, <laughs> yeah. So this is a birthday present to me to get to be on with you all, uh, early Aww. one. Uh, I'll take it. It's a pleasure. <laughs> uh, Thank you. And to think about the book. But the, the reality is, uh, if I was born 500 days later, we may not be having this conversation. I was born about 500 days before Roe v. Wade was passed. Mm -hmm. And my story is one that is typical for abortion. My biological mother and father met at a party uh, sometime January, February 1971. Uh, It was a a one-time encounter. There's no record that my biological father knows that I exist. Uh, He evidently was never told. There's truly just a a one-time encounter. My biological mother found out that she was expecting and her parents uh, kicked her out of the home. They, they would not have mm-hmm. a, a harsh family uh, situation. And she boarded with a family uh, in, in Omaha, Nebraska, and a physician, actually. She did lighthouse work and helped with their children until I was born, and that's, that's all I know. But uh, And I don't really know that except for a two-page letter from Nebraska Children's Home, but I'm trusting it, so it's wow. all good. Uh But one of my earliest memories is my parents, who adopted me, Mm -hmm. uh, they sat down with my older sister and I, who's also adopted, we're not biological siblings, but but true siblings in adoption, uh, and told us that we were adopted. They just explained that they were not able to have children at a hospital in a normal way, and that they chose us, and they wanted us in their family, and... You know, Will and Mickey. sometimes this is a very hard conversation for kids. It's a tough conversation for parents to have with those kids. Yeah. But many children really suffer uh, trauma from just finding out that information. But for me, that was not the case. Mm. It was, it just seemed normal. And that's God's grace upon me. Yes. Uh, It just, it just seemed like no big deal. In fact, I I would forget that I was adopted unless the conversation came up. Mm. Hmm. And then I would, I would. Oh yes, I can chime in here. I have something to say. Uh, <laughs> so it was uh, just a natural situation when I met my wife. We were students uh, at the University of Nebraska, and and uh, she's a Christian, and and she had experiences of seeing folks who had fostered and adopted and positive experiences. I was adopted, and just in that sort of get to know you phase of a relationship, uh, and I just shared this information, and and we thought maybe someday we could do that. You know, when we're, we're kids. Well, uh, the story progresses, uh, and this is the first part of my book. I just kind of tell our story. Uh, my wife and I had five biological, biological children, and we weren't really thinking at all about expanding our family through foster care or adoption. But when our oldest went away to college, we had an open room. Mm. And for the first time, we began to pray and think about opportunities before us, and the Lord uh, opened our eyes to the need of kids who are in the foster care system in the United States whose parental rights are severed. And that was the beginning of our work to adopt kids.
1: So let, let me ask you this, Dr. Chipman. And and this is, you know, we we ask just really real questions, right? And so if I ask a question that you feel like maybe is, is just too personal, you can just tell me. But I'm curious to know, because I think that there are families like our own. So we've got five biological Mm -hmm. kids, and there have been times that Will and I have talked about adoption and we have talked about fostering, but there is also this concern that you have when you don't know the situation that the kid you would foster or that you would adopt is coming out of. And Mm -hmm. let's say you don't get um, a newborn baby. Maybe you get a kid who has maybe experienced some type of trauma, which is usually the case, maybe not always, there is a concern that you might introduce into your existing family structure, something that you may have no control over. Is this, is this a right concern or is this a selfish concern?
0: No, I think it's, it's a right concern. And if, if we're truly concerned about that, then we'll go and get information and begin thinking about what the Lord might have us to do with that information. Mm -hmm. And that, Mickey is a great question and I think it, it just sits well with your listeners who are who are chiming in here and thinking about what God has them to do. My wife and I actually thought about that scenario. Again, we had considered even before we were married, hey, someday we might be able to adopt. We have a house full of kids on our own, our oldest leads and and along the way we had thought a few times about what it might be like to foster adopt. But we began to think about what that would do to our biological kids. And we strategize, we wanted to have children who are younger than our bio kids. And that's uh, something that a lot of families will try to pursue. And and many uh, institutions will will help families consider birth order. That is a, a phrase that uh, foster adult families hear a lot about, birth order, and trying to strategize so kids that are sort of established and have patterns can provide a framework for those younger kids coming with trauma. Now, that helps sometimes. doesn't doesn't always work, but that's what worked for us. And so our uh, youngest biological child was three years older than our oldest adopted child when we got our girls when they were uh, six and seven years old is okay. when we got them. So they did have trauma and history and those kinds of things. And and that, that worked itself out. O- on the other hand, uh, there's, there's another sense. Oh, go ahead. Will, Miki you going to chime in there?
1: No, go right ahead. Go right ahead.
0: So that's one side of the coin, if you will. We have to think strategically that there, there are going to be issues with these children coming into our home, even if they're younger than our bio kids, though uh, birth order is not always uh, uh, an element that is definitive. In, or decisive in, in this situation. It might be, but it might not be. On the other hand, we recognize that by bringing these kids into our home, if, if we are thoughtful and aware of the trauma, we are considerate and we have done everything we can to think about what this might uh, challenge our family with, we are ready also to experience God's blessings in that. Mm. We have seen in our kids, our, our bio kids, how they have grown in Christ, grown to follow after Him because of the choice we've made, because of the hard times. Mm-hmm. Our biologic kids have had to learn to forgive, to flex. I remember one of the first weeks that our adopted girls they were fostered at that time because we had to foster them for a certain period of time according to the state before we could adopt them but they were just our foster kids at that point but we were willing to adopt them the process was engaged we were having dinner and one of our bio kids loved cucumbers and so she had this pile of cucumbers on her plate one of our adopted kids liked cucumbers by the time she got through the line no cucumbers (laughs) <laughs> this is a problem. And uh, it was really a problem for the uh, foster girl at that time. And she pounded her fist on the table. Oh. I want cucumbers, she screamed. And it was turning into a traumatic event. Mm. And I, I recognize, you know, I have an opportunity right here to teach the gospel to my family. Mm. So I went over and I took some of the cucumbers off of the plate of my biological daughter and put them onto the plate. And I said, in, in, in a family, we share. Mm. What I have is yours. What you have is mine as, as much as we can. So that's what we're going to do.
1: Yeah. Wow. And,
0: and my biological daughter got it. And we had talked about this. Mm. We had taught, we had prepped them. We had prayed with them. Hey, when this happens, they're a part of our family, just like you are. And I'm their dad the same way. It's going to be exactly equal. We're going to spend the same amount on Christmas. Uh, you're going to get the same amount of, you know, this is what we're going to do. And she knew it. And she didn't intentionally take all the cucumbers. She just likes them. She wasn't doing any yeah. evil. She was just eating. Mm-hmm. Um, but she she understood. And our foster daughter at that time is now our own. She got it as well. that this this is a family. This is how we act. And so... That's just one instance of many that we have had over the years to share and to bring these kids in that's provided our older kids such help. I want to provide uh, maybe a third dimension to this coin, if I could here, Mm -hmm. Will and Mickey. So I've mentioned the difficulty, and we need to be aware of that, Mm -hmm. the trauma that will come in, the amount of time it will take to run kids to therapy appointments, the, the challenges of... Perhaps hanging out with the biological family of this child is in my It's so complex. I don't want to make it sound easy because it's not.
2: Mm-hmm. Yeah.
0: On the other hand, we have such an opportunity to teach our own families what it means to share, to see God strengthen us on hard days, hard weeks, months, maybe. But we also have an opportunity in this third dimension, and this is another lens through which I write the book, is we have an opportunity to help our churches chime in. Yes. And, and for me, this is the X factor in foster care or adoption. With kids in trauma, with kids who've been abused or neglected, what they need is to see not just a family working, but a family unit within God's family. Mm. They need to see a whole matrix of relationships where people love one another, people genuinely care about one another, where they can feel secure in that. So when I talk with foster or adopt families, I I mention the idea of birth order, and I think that might be important in terms of strategizing so kids coming in or younger, there may be something to that. But even more important is the idea of the birth order of your church. <laughs> How many People, how many generations can you surround this child with from your church? That's,
2: wow. good.
0: How that's many, good. How many aunts and uncles, aunties and uh, so forth? Uh, how many grandmas? Yeah, no, that's how really many- good,
1: because I, I think um, even if it's not an adoptive or fostering situation, I think that um, intergenerational blessings are so important to the church, and and I think that's an excellent point that you raise. I want to stay here, though, and talking about the church, if I could just interject with with this question. You also say or suggest that um, adoption and fostering can heal maybe some cultural and and ethnic divides within the context of the church. How so?
0: Well, the scenario for foster care and adoption, especially through uh, the the state system of foster care, if we step into that area, we find that proportionally, there's a higher percentage of African American children in the foster care system, just Mm -hmm. by demographics. Mm -hmm. That's just the way it is right now. And so if a family steps into this, they will likely engage a different race, and bring perhaps a different race into their home. If they're Caucasian or Hispanic, uh, they'll, they'll be bringing in uh, perhaps an African-American child uh, into their home. And many churches, uh, sadly, are still—I uh, say sadly, but uh, it, it's a complex issue um, and how churches work and operate in their histories. But certainly I would be a fan of more cultural diversity uh, in terms of, of racial and, and ethnic uh, mixes in a church. I think there's great joy in that. I think that's a picture of heaven. I think that has New Testament roots. Uh, and one way that will occur is if these kids come into our churches. Mm-hmm. And we have an opportunity to show that in our churches. And we have an opportunity, even when we are not gathered in a church, but to show that we, uh, whatever one's race is, if they have a of a different race coming in and have an opportunity to show God's glory and goodness. Dr. Chipman, as they, L- let me
1: is. let me just jump in. we got to grab this break. This is Aaron the Addisons on American Family Radio. We'll be right back. back to Aaron on the Addisons on American Family Radio. Thank you so much for listening. I'm Miki.
2: And I'm Will. And that's unspoken with we'll Just Give Me Jesus.
1: Thanks so much to Rich, who is over in Studio CC, who's gotten our guest on for us today, Dr. Todd Chipman, who is the teaching pastor at the Masters Community Church in Kansas City, Kansas. He's been the teaching pastor since 2000. He's authored the book, Until Every Child is Home, Why the Church Can and Must Care for Orphans. And we were kind of talking about, um, you know, just, being open to this possibility and Mm -hmm. what might be the ripple effects of fostering a child or adopting a child uh, and then bringing that child into the context of the church. And I'm wondering, Dr. Chipman, if you would would recommend like when when we think about this and a person kind of hears your testimony and they start exploring, you know, maybe this is something that I need to do, but then maybe they talk themselves out of it. Maybe they don't understand what are the costs that they should consider, what encouragement do you offer to them? What is the way that we should pray as we consider our role and seeing to it that every child has a home?
0: Yes, I think uh, many folks will sort of have a flip the coin and see how I feel today about Mm -hmm. fostering or adopting. Uh, There's a cycle. It goes back and forth. Should we do this? Should we not? As soon as we tell our extended family, we may have uh, further stimulation to proceed or not to proceed. Uh, I mean, there's so many factors. And, and what I think uh, a good process would be, uh, Mickey would be to consider, first of all, what God has done for us. And in the, the book, I have three chapters just on the theological grounding for this kind of ministry in a local church and partnering together thinking about what God has done for us. In fact, in in Deuteronomy 24, at the end of the chapter, one of these chapters in the Old Testament where God gives uh, laws that Israel was not to thresh all the grain in the field, but to leave some on the edges so that widows and orphans could have something to sustain them. Mm -hmm. The final verse of Deuteronomy 24 says, Remember that you were a slave in the land of Egypt, Therefore, I am commanding you to do this.
1: Mm.
0: It's God's way of saying, remember what I did for you. Yes. Mm-hmm. You would have no land, yeah. let alone grain, if I didn't rescue you. Mm. And this is the reality for us, that what God has done for us, He intends us to pass along. I mentioned earlier, if your listeners caught the beginning of our interview, that sometimes I feel like a funnel. God has given us so much, and we can pour out, and this is one way. So keeping that perspective in mind of what God has done for you, Second, talking with folks. I mentioned just jokingly about extended family or maybe neighbors or folks who may say, yes, do it, or others with shock say, no. I've talked to many people who have been praying about this. They've spoken with me, and then they speak with uh, maybe extended family, and they feel shut down. I shouldn't do this. Sometimes, sadly, folks will go to church leaders and be discouraged. I, I shouldn't be doing that. Uh, And church leaders will be wise, I'm sure, in their counsel, but but go to church leaders and think with them about what this would mean. And uh, take them a copy of of my book and talk strategy, how this can be good for a church. It can help us with the Great Commission. Again, we were talking about racial issues earlier. It can give us greater racial sensitivity. Mm -hmm. Uh, it, It can help us in other cultural ways, even preventing human trafficking, which is a whole section in my book. and um, to perhaps the saddest section of all. So thinking about what God has done for us, thinking about opportunities with our churches, and thinking about the cultural witness that we can have will help uh, uh, your, your listeners to think this through further.
1: Well, Dr. Shipman, thank you so much. I appreciate you joining us today. Would you let our listeners know where they can pick up a copy of your book? In fact, what I'm going to do is I'm going to open the phone lines, and if there is someone listening who has been praying about adoption and really thinking about fostering, and you've wanted more information, Dr. Chipman's book might be a great place for you to start. So let me open the phone lines. The first caller through um, will get a copy of the book. It's 888-589-8840, 888-589-8840. And if you're the very first caller and Richard gets your call, then you'll get a copy of Until Every Child is Home But for everybody else whose heart is stirring, Dr. Chipman, where can they pick up a copy of the book?
0: They can get it at a local bookstore. It's widely available. Amazon or other outlets, Uh, Barnes & Noble carries it, local bookstore. If they don't have it, they can order it, have it to you in just a couple of days.
1: Mm, Very good. Dr. Chipman, thank you so much for joining us today. We appreciate it.
0: My pleasure. God bless you. Thank you so much.
1: So. So, you know, I was thinking about this, and I was I was recalling um, a few years back, you might remember this, Will, mm-hmm. where our kid was in uh, preschool, and there yes. was, oh my goodness, there was this, um, there was a kid mm-hmm. whose um, family didn't want him, Yeah, and it's amazing, because you find yourself in situations like that, and you don't even think through it a whole, whole lot, mm-hmm. you just are like, a kid needs a home, right? And so we were gearing up to take him. <laughs>
2: yeah.
1: Yeah. I, I receive him, not take him. I mean, yeah. I yeah. get, you got to make sure d- you get it all right, you know. <laughs> and so you and I were talking about it, and we were praying about it, and and we just felt like, man, yeah, we could do this. We can do this, yeah. you know. We can do this. And so, um, so the next day we go back to the school because it was one of those one of those situations where it's like, you know, this kid needs a home, and and people were talking about, it. and I learned about it one day as I was picking up. Um, at the time Mariah mm-hmm. and, um, she was little in preschool and, and, and so I came home and I talked to you about it. And, and the next day I was like, you got to come and meet this kid. I think, I think, I think we're going to take him home. <laughs> <laughs> and, uh, and it turns out that there was some, uh, extended family that said, no, they're going to take him, which is the best.
2: Yeah. I have, that's good.
1: I, my understanding is that it's the best, but it was disappointing Yeah, because there is something amazing that happens when you start thinking about fostering a kid mm-hmm. or adopting a kid your heart and anybody who's done this or thought about doing it and there's a kid, right? Your heart gets knit to that kid. Mm -hmm. Like you, you almost feel like that's your child. Mm -hmm. So like in my mind, I was like, this is our son, (laughs) like this is our son, you know? And, and anyway, and it it didn't work out, but it's something that you and I have prayed about and it's something that we've talked about that um, we're open to the Lord doing. And, and I wonder why this is such an issue in the church. You know, we have known people who, feel like they could just never love a child that was not biologically theirs. And I wonder if it has to do with not having a full understanding of what it is to be adopted into the family of God. Yeah,
2: I think so. And I think it's some of the fears that were or even brought up in your first question about not knowing maybe what they're getting into, like for its history wise or what they're coming out, you know, and inserting that, especially if they already have families, um, as far as other siblings, like other children, yes, uh, that that could be something that that would cause a lot of hesitation.
1: Yeah, and I think and I think as Dr. Chipman pointed out, that is a right concern. Yeah. All right, let's do this. Let's look at a then and now kind of a let's have a then and now moment here because this is an interesting clip that you came across of uh, Dr. Tony Evans. And it's really interesting because, as people know, uh, Dr. Tony Evans is the father of Priscilla Shire, mm-hmm. who teaches women across the country, and she's written several different Bible studies and devotionals and things like that. Mm-hmm. And uh, Dr. Tony Evans was speaking before a group of people in nineteen eighty six. in nineteen eighty six and listen to what Dr. Tony Evans said about being a Christian above and beyond being black or being white. Listen to what he said in 1986, Mm -hmm.
4: go. There's so many things that divide us that are non-biblical basis for division. Did you know it is linguistically incorrect for me to call myself a, a black Christian? And it's linguistically incorrect for you to call yourself a white Christian. You know why that is true? Because then black becomes an adjective, and white becomes an adjective, and it's the job of the adjective to modify the noun. So if Christian is a noun, and black and white is the adjective, the noun must conform to what the adjective says it is. So the Christian must look white or look black, because the role of the noun is to receive the definition of the adjective so that the noun looks like what the adjective says it ought to be. You can't do that in the faith. Christianity must always be in the adjectival position and my blackness and someone else's whiteness must always be in the noun position so that the noun always looks like what the adjective says it is so that my humanity must always be controlled by my Christianity and whenever my culture tells me who I am and my Christianity does not tell me who I am then I must serve notice on my culture you are wrong my faith has dictated my existence I wasn't in
1: that meeting (laughs) but I guarantee you I'm standing if I'm in that meeting, I'm on my feet right now. I'm saying, "Preach, preacher."
2: <laughs> right. There's no R in it. That
1: is that is exactly where the gospel brings us. Right. Yeah. The gospel brings us into a new family, whereby our chief, first, and foremost identification is that of Christian. Mm-hmm. Now, interestingly enough, interestingly enough, that is Dr. Tony Evans in 1986. Right. This is his daughter, Priscilla Shire in 2018, preaching almost the exact
3: same message. Listen. I do not describe myself as a black woman because that gives too much power to my blackness. I don't want black, my race, to be the describing adjective, the defining adjective of who I am as a woman. I am not a black woman. I am a Christian woman who happens to be black. the job of your adjective to describe the noun of who you are. And if there's going to be an adjective describing me, it is not going to be my race, it is going to be that I am a woman who believes in every single thing that my Word, that my God has declared to be true. And I will stand firmly on the promises of His Word because I will be girded in truth. So you may be a black woman, a black man, a white woman, a white man, but that should not define you, so that if your race or if your political group is going in a different direction than the Word of God, you don't choose your blackness or your whiteness or whatever culture you are, you do not choose that. Or your political persuasion over what it is that God's Word declares to be true. I hate to tell you this, but God doesn't ride the backs of donkeys or elephants. He did not come to take sides. He came to take over. Oh, my goodness. <laughs> I'm standing up here, too. I'm standing.
1: I'm, I'm on my feet here, too. Yeah, right. Yeah. But can I point out to you a stark difference between 1986 and 2018? Mm. And I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to show you the difference in a clip here in just a second. But I want to set it up in 2018. This video clip went viral it went viral with millions of views and it was shared over and over and over again. And whenever a video goes viral and whenever a video gets shared over and over again, what people are saying is that this is speaking for me or to me. Mm
2: -hmm.
1: When you share a video, you are saying this video is speaking for me or to me. So the video is saying something that you have wanted to say, but they capture it succinctly and perfectly. Or the video is saying something to you that is so good. You want other people to see it or, or
2: you feel like you have, it's so shocking to you what you're oh, hearing. Yes, that's right. That you like want, <laughs> want to share and like, man, look what she said. That's
1: right. Let me not oversimplify it. <laughs> or you're provoked by it. Right. And you're like, this is outrageous.
2: Right. Right.
1: And then somebody's going, or okay, then all right. So maybe it's not as simple as I'd like it to be. Right. But when you have a video like this, What people are saying is yes and amen. They're saying this is the truth. We agree with this. Yes, this is the word of God. But in 1986, when Dr. Tony Evans said this, we weren't living in the time that we're living in now. Hmm. In 2018, when Priscilla Shire said this, she actually had to go back and apologize because there were a group of people who felt like she was trying to distance herself from what it is to be black. So she went on an interview with Erica Campbell, gospel singer, radio host, and listen, this was the result.
3: Well, let me just first of all start with the with what needs to be said and that is that I am extraordinarily proud to be an African American woman. Oh, I am a black woman right. through and through. The individuality, the uniqueness, the experiences, and the expressions that are ours mm-hmm. as a culture and as a black church culture. Mm-hmm. That's my privilege and my pride to be a part of that community. I would never distance myself or divorce myself from being a black woman. I am. Now, that being said, In the context of the message that I was teaching, which was a nearly hour-long message on the armor of God, Mm -hmm. I was on the first piece of armor in Ephesians chapter 6 that talks about girding yourself with truth. Yes. And my encouragement and challenge to the the local church, by the way, I was just speaking to a local church of people that know me. They've known me for years, so they know I'm straight-up black. Mm -hmm. (laughs) Um, And and, and value my blackness. So I'm
1: Now, let me just jump in here and say, just in the interest of time, we seem to always run out of time. I actually communicated with Priscilla Shire regarding this this video because she got a lot of flack. And in fact, she got flack from all sides, right? There are people Mm -hmm. who said, why did you say that you are Christian over being black? You're denying your quote unquote blackness. Then there are people who said, why did you apologize? What you said was good enough. Let the chips fall where, where they may. Mm-hmm. And I communicated with her via Twitter message about this because yeah. I was so grieved that she felt she needed to come back and apologize. And what she said was that she was not apologizing for what she said. Mm-hmm. She was apologizing that so many people misunderstood what she said and that it offended people. Right. But let me point out the larger problem. Within the context of the church, there were people who were offended. (laughs) There are so many things that we put above our distinction of Christian. There are so many things that we put above our highest calling and our chief identity that is Christian. That whenever those things get jabbed at, whenever those things get knocked from their pedestal, people begin to sound alarms. Mm. And you can always tell. What is most precious to people? Because when you start to nick at it, right, When you <laughs> mm-hmm. that's what starts flying. Right. It's amazing how far we have fallen in the context of the church from 1986 to 2018. All right, we're out of time. Until tomorrow, Lord willing.
2: God bless.